Okay, well, good morning. And if you're watching this on Mother's Day, happy Mother's Day to you. It's uh, an honor and a privilege to be with you in your home, um, sharing with you on the essence of motherhood on Mother's Day. And so, yeah, let's, let's pray before I start. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this privilege, for this honor. We ask that you would touch our hearts, Lord, <clears throat> whether mothers, fathers, young people, Lord, men, women, boys, girls, would you speak to our hearts? Would you minister to us? Would you have your way, we pray. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would fill my heart and my mind and my mouth with your words right now for your people in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> okay, so as I said, I'm going to be speaking to you on the essence of motherhood. And this message is for mothers. It's for natural mothers, it's for spiritual mothers, it's for adoptive mothers, for stepmothers, it's for single mothers, for working mothers, for stay-at-home mothers, it's for multi-generational mothers, so grandmothers, um, it's also for mothers of nations, mothers of entities, um, mothers of businesses, mothers in various spheres and domains. Um, it's for any type of mother. It's a message, in fact, for girls, for single women as well, for unmarried women. And more than this, it's also a message for our fathers, for men and for boys. And it's a message that I really hope will encourage all of us to see the gift that there is in women, the gift that there is in, in mother. And it's a challenge set out before all of us, I think, um, to call this woman forth, to call our mothers forth and to allow them to function in all that God created them to be. And I'm going to begin my message by looking at Eve as a type for woman. And I'm then going to just proceed to look at some of the different types of mothers that we find in the Word of God. And as you listen to this message, I want to encourage you to personalize the message to your life and to your context. If you are a woman, try to identify with one of the women mentioned or with parts of their lives. If you're a man, I want you to try and identify how can you how you can better facilitate and draw out the woman and the mothers that God has God has placed around your life. Um, I'm going to get to the essence of a mother, and um, but I want to start by by going to the first place um, in Genesis that I think is important for us to go to, and that is woman as God's image bearer. And we see in Genesis 1 verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we see here that God created man, yes, and woman in the image of God. He created them together in the image of God. So a husband and a wife reflect the image of God, but also a man and a woman reflect the image of God. An image bearer, what it means is that we have attributes that God has, um, such as, for instance, the ability to reason, the ability to choose, the ability to love, and so forth. So those are attributes that God has that he has given us as part of his image. And I love how there's a particular lady who's written a book, um, and it's, it's entitled Finding Strength 
um, significance through their last woman of the Bible, finding strength and significance through their stories. And her name is Carolyn Custis James. And she says this about women and about um, being made in God's image. She says, the call to bear God's image is an invitation to get to know God deeply. On the outskirts of human history, even before a single human set foot on this planet, God opened the door for us to enjoy an intimate relationship with Him. The call to bear God's image was intended to whet Eve's hunger, to learn all she could about Him. And I love this. It wasn't good enough for Adam to know God and tell Eve about Him, uh, to teach Eve what God was like. Eve was intended to know God personally. Eve needed to know God for herself. In other words, God was calling Eve to walk with him through her life. God was calling Eve to live in his presence, to go his way, to see the world through his eyes and to get to know his character personally so that trusting him in the dark stretches wouldn't be quite so hard. And she goes on to explain that um, the woman, and and, and this applies to men too, because we both created in the image of God, but today we're primarily talking about mothers and women. She says, um, woman uh, sees God at the center of everything, and she lives with a profound confidence that he holds the whole world, including her, in his hands. Eugene Peterson described it like this, if we live by mere happenstance, looking at what is biggest, listening to what is loudest, doing what is easiest. We will live as if God were confined to the margins of our lives. But God is not marginal. God is foundational. God is central. The person who lives as if God sits on the bench at the edges of life, waiting to be called on in emergencies, is out of touch with reality and so lives badly. And that's what Eugene Peterson says. Eve was created to know and walk with God and to make him known to others by reflecting his character in her life. This is a true woman's true path to fulfillment and to meaning. And this is the only way we will ever discover who we are and find our purpose. And, and it is accessible to all of us. And I just love that. Eve was created to know and walk with God and make him known to others by reflecting his character in her life. This is a woman's true path to fulfillment and meaning and the only way we will ever discover who we are and find our purpose. And you know what? God has wired all of us as women. He's wired us so differently with different gifts and different talents and different um, proclivities and different passions um, and different uh, dreams and visions. And that's beautiful because walking with God through life and making him known will look very different in one woman's life to another woman's life. And that's just so God. There's space for all of us. There's that expression, space for that expression in all of us. So that's our call as women to um, carry the image of God. And then I'm going to take it a step further by looking at um, Genesis 1 verse 28. So I'll start in verse 27. Um, It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them, verse 28, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And this, verse 28, this is commonly referred to as the dominion mandate 
or the cultural mandate. And you know what is so beautiful about how this is put together is that woman is part, carries, carries the image of God, and woman is part of this dominion and cultural mandate. Woman carries a responsibility from God to fulfill the dominion and cultural mandate. She's not, as some people seem to think erroneously, she's not meant to be barefoot and pregnant in, in a house raising children and that's her only purpose in life and it's the man's purpose to go and have dominion. No, the dominion mandate is was given to all of us, it's given to men, it's given to women. How it looks in my life may be that I am staying at home, I'm a stay-at-home mom and I'm barefoot and pregnant and I'm looking after the kids and that's my calling and there's extreme fulfillment in it. But you know what? I can't take that measure and measure it against someone else. Maybe I'm a working mom and I can't now say, well, you know, I use my measure against everyone. No, everyone will be different, but we all Every woman will be different, but we've all been given this dominion and cultural mandate to be fruitful and multiply. What is that? That is giving birth to life. That is bringing forth life. And we're going to go there just now. But that is the essence of being a mother, is bringing forth life, giving birth to life. And that is such a crucial part of the dominion or the cultural mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. Men cannot do that on their own. Okay, Men do not give birth to babies. Now I'm talking here spiritually and naturally. Um, so being fruitful and multiplying, being fruitful. I can be fruitful, yes, in the children I bring forth, but there are a lot of other things that I can be fruitful in, a lot of other areas that I can bring life to as a mother and as a woman, and we're going to get there just now. So the dominion mandate given to us as women as well as to men, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over you know fish, birds, every living creature. So we've also been given the um, responsibility to rule and have dominion. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so the woman's role in the cultural mandate, and I've touched on this, be fruitful, multiply, have dominion. Woman has a role on this, a role in this. Part of it is giving birth to life, giving birth to children, mothering, okay, and this is mothering natural children, mothering spiritual children, or other things in various areas and domains. We are called to bring forth life. We are called to give birth. We are called to mother, and we're called to have dominion. Okay, so I've started to talk about mother. Let's talk about mother a little bit more. Let's unpack that a little bit more. And to do this, I'm going to look at Genesis 3 verse 20. It says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Adam calls his wife wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And that name Eve, that word Eve, is the word kavor. And it basically means life giver. So Adam called his wife's name life giver because she was the mother of all living. And just an aside at this point, I love how Adam, with the delegated authority that God had given him, called his wife's name Eve, life giver. <clears throat> Immediately after, she was the one who just opened a door for sin and death to enter the earth for all you know, for all of us. So Adam called his wife's name 
Eve, life giver, immediately after she'd brought forth death. And so this to me is very encouraging because it means there's no situation, <clears throat> there's no sin, there's nothing that you have done that God cannot redeem that calling of mother and life giver to you. He did it for Eve, he can do it for you <clears throat> and for me. And so that is what being a mother entails. It's being a life giver. Being a life giver. Being one that brings forth life. And I looked up in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. And I looked up the concept of mothering. The word mothering. And it spoke about it as follows. It said to give birth. To produce. To care for. To nourish. To nurture. And protect. To be a female parent. Women are called to be life givers, mothers. Some are called to give birth to natural children and raise them. Some are called to give birth to organizations and entities that will result in God's domain being extended, God's rule being extended, God's kingdom coming, life coming into the earth. Some are called to bring forth life in dead situations. Some are called to nurture and mother spiritual children, grandchildren, other people's children. Mother is so broad. And, and I want you to think about it like this as you listen to this message. So you might not be married with children. You um, might be a young girl. You might be a single mom. You might who knows but 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 God knows and I want to challenge you today that um, that there are situations there are things that God wants you to bring forth life into and that is the essence of mothering there are things that he wants you to birth there are things that he wants you to nourish and nurture and protect and care for there are things that he wants you to produce and a legacy that he wants you to leave as as a mother and as one who brings forth life. And I want to challenge you, every woman listening to this today, to think about that. Um, where you are right now in this season of life, you might not have children. Maybe you do. But you can bring forth something. You can bring forth life. You can give birth to the purposes of God. Maybe you have children. <clears throat> Maybe you already have children that you've given birth to. God is calling us to nourish, to nurture, to protect, to um, care for, to teach and train up and all of those things. That is part of being a mother. Um, maybe God is calling you as a woman to adopt. Maybe he's calling you to birth an orphanage. Maybe he's calling you um, to spiritually train up younger people and, and be a spiritual mom, so to speak, be a mother in Israel. There's so many ways that God desires to use us as mothers in his kingdom. And we just often, we just need to ask him. Amen. And men, if you're listening to this, I want you to think about the woman around you, the woman in your life, your sisters, your mothers, your grandmothers, um, your aunties. I want you to think about um, the woman that God has placed around you and in your family and, and just ask yourself, how can you facilitate them to be everything that God created them to be in terms of this, to be the best mothers, the best bringing bringers forth of life so to speak how can you what is your role in that um how can you facilitate that and work with the holy spirit in this regard and you know i'm speaking to all sorts of different um people as i as i share this message um and i wanted to look at different types of mothers that we find 
in the Bible because the thing that I find so encouraging as I just read through some of these accounts of these lives of women is that I see that their lives were not perfect. Everything didn't go as it ought to, maybe, in our minds. Everything wasn't plain sailing. Some of them brought forth the purposes of God in their generation, the generations to come. Um, some of them were part of the lineage of Christ, bringing forth um, God's ultimate plan of salvation and redemption for mankind. But it didn't mean that their lives went smoothly. It didn't mean that it was easy all the time. In fact, um, if anything, I see some of them went through quite hectic circumstances, incredible difficulties, yet they were um, fulfilling the plan of God. And this encourages me and it encourages me as I look at women in our church and I look at women and mothers in general because I see situations that aren't ideal, um, many situations that aren't ideal. But you know what? These women can really strengthen and encourage us as we look at them and we just look a, li a little bit deeper at them, which I'm going to do right now. So as I go through these different types of mothers that I see in the Bible, see which ones you can identify with and where you can draw an encouragement and strength from them as mothers. God had called them to bring forth life and they were faithful uh, to bring forth life, to bring forth deliverance, to bring forth his plan, his purposes. And they were faithful to do so. And they did so despite opposition, despite difficulties, despite challenges. And, and, and God can help us to do that as well. Amen. Okay. So the first type of mother that I'm wanting to look at is um, that there is no room for you, mother. And there is no room for you, mother. And, and this can take many different shapes and forms in church, in society today. Um, and I'm going to look at Mary. And I'm going to pick up the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus, in Matthew 1, verse 18 to 22. Um, and I'm going to paraphrase some of it. So Mary was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. She was unmarried. Already there we see, there's no room for you, Mary. You're an unmarried, pregnant woman. Okay? So she was pregnant, she was unmarried, and um, she was probably afraid because the angel says to Joseph, do not be afraid. So they were probably both afraid, okay? Um, and he says to, to Joseph, what is conceived in, from the Holy Spirit? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And, and this, is, this is awesome because it shows me that when God wants us to conceive and give birth to something or someone. He knows its name and he knows its purpose. And um, it doesn't matter what the situation looks like. God can still bring forth his purposes. And maybe, maybe God is, has, you, has something for you to conceive and bring forth. Maybe it's um, in your family. Maybe it's in the environment you have within your family home. Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's a ministry to other couples as a couple. Maybe it's a ministry to other wives as a wife. Maybe it's a particular ministry or something that God wants you to birth. Um, if, if the Holy Spirit has conceived it in you, if he's given you that dream, that desire, that aspiration, that goal, that business idea, whatever it is, it's, whatever it is, when the Holy Spirit conceives a thing in you, he knows its name and he knows its purpose. 
um, no matter what it looks like on the outside, and I'm building still towards the there is no room for you part. Um, yeah, so it says in um, Luke 2 verse 1 to 7, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. So in response to this Caesar, I'm just going to read a, a paraphrase. Basically, Joseph went up from Galilee, um, out of Nazareth, and into Judea, and he took Mary with him, um, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So they were going to be registered there. And um, so it was, it says, that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, that's Jesus, and wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger. Listen to this because there was no room for them in the inn. Can you imagine God's number one plan for the redemption of man? He uses an unmarried woman. Obviously, we know because it had to be a virgin birth, but an unmarried woman in, a, in cultural, cultural times uh, such as she was in, it would have been frowned upon. And then imagine Mary. She knows that she's undergone a whole lot of challenges because she's unmarried and she's pregnant. And now when it comes to giving birth to the Son of God, to the ultimate redemption uh, plan of God for mankind, there's no room for them. There is no room for them. So she had to go to the stable with the animals. Can you, can you imagine that? I mean, that is, that is the ultimate for me in terms of no room. Um, and, and no room mom. Um, Mary was unmarried. Uh, maybe you are a single mom. Maybe you can identify with this. Maybe for you, the no room for you is our cultural context today. Um, maybe it's your church context. Maybe it's your family context. It feels like there's no room for you as a single mom. Um, it's maybe it feels like the messages don't really, are there no messages for you? Or there are no, there are no groups for you. There's no support for you. There's no room for you in your church or in your cell group or wherever you are. Well, you're in good company, okay? Maybe you're a widowed mom. And you feel like there's no room for me. Where do I fit in? Where's my support? What do, how do I, how can I cope? Maybe you're a divorced mom. Maybe you've done something, you've committed a sin and you believe there's no room for you in God's purposes. I want to encourage you to go to God and find out what he thinks. Okay. All the ends were full. There was no room available for her to bring forth what God had given her and planned for her to bring forth. Maybe God has given you an idea, a passion, a desire, something to bring forth, something to do. Um, maybe it's a ministry to a certain group of people, but it seems impossible. It seems like there's no room. You keep hitting a glass ceiling maybe, or there's just no breakthrough, or you look around and you think, Lord, why do I need to add another book to all of the books out there? Why do I need to add another church to all the churches out there? Why do I need to add another ministry like that to all the ministries like that out there? But you know what? I want to encourage you to go to God who seems to specialize in bringing forth his purposes where there seems to be no room for them. He seems to specialize in bringing forth his purposes in circumstances that men would otherwise turn away from and, and not see as ideal. So that is the no room. There is no room for you, mother. Well, I want to say to you, there is room for you. Go to God and he will help you. Amen. The second type of mother that I'm wanting to look at and encourage today is the obscure mother, the obscure mother. And let's face it, as moms, many of us are, go through seasons of extreme obscurity, especially when our kids are babies. You know, maybe I had three boys close together. There was quite a long period of, of obscurity at the time. It was very fulfilling. And I think that's the grace of God 
Um, but you know, there, there's, there's, there's seasons of obscurity. And, I, and I'm wanting to talk about uh, an extreme example of this, I think. Um, in the Bible, if we look in Genesis chapter 6 to, to chapter 10, we find the story of Noah. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever thought about this, um, but have you ever thought who Noah's wife was? Okay, he must have had a wife. He had three sons. And um, his wife went aboard the ark with him. And she must have been an incredible woman. But Noah, we hear it mentioned in Chronicles. We hear her mentioned in the prophets, in the gospels, in the epistles. So we see a lot of Bible um, dedicated to Noah. But Mrs. Noah, she really reaches, barely reaches the level of a footnote in the Bible. Genesis acknowledges her existence five times never once by name and never for anything she does or for any quality or contribution that distinguishes her from anyone else. Um, so quite a, lit, quite a little is written about her. And she's, she reminds me, she's, she's like one of those women or mothers or wives who gets introduced by people that they are associated with. So maybe someone, take for example me, not that I've experienced this, but say I'm being introduced to speak and I get introduced as the wife. Uh, this is, you know, let's welcome Tracy Nyamura, the wife of Paul Nyamura, who is an executive coach who lectures on the Gibbs, uh, program, Gibbs programs, who is this and who is that and that and that, and he does this, and, and they have three handsome children. And imagine that, you know, I'm being introduced by association. And that's a little bit like Mrs. Noah, her main claim to fame was that she was Noah's wife. Um, but think about think about it. You know, even though she she gets lost in Noah's shadow, in in God's eyes, I'm sure she was never lost. You know, um, whether a woman is out front or she's in the shadows, hidden. God, whether she's facing a crisis or having an ordinary day, she has a vital role in God's purposes, and God's eyes are upon her. You know, think about the situation, the context within which they lived. It was an incredibly evil. Um, time. There was evil, a lot of evil everywhere, and she lived in that time, and um, it had never rained, or so they say it had never rained, and so Noah tells all their friends and all the people around them that, you know what, I'm building an ark because it's going to rain. Can you imagine the mocking? Can you imagine the laughter? And he probably, it, it, the Bible actually speaks of him as, as a man who walked with God, as, as a righteous man, and so can you imagine he was righteous when all the other people were doing evil? And so there must have been some sort of um, uh, challenge with that type of dynamic. And Mrs. Noah, it seems like she stood by her husband's side. She got on the ark with him. She would have taken some flack for that too. So she must have, I imagine, stood with her husband. She raised up three sons. And ultimately, she was mother of a mother, the, a mother of a nation, right? Because the nation of Israel came from her after the flood. Um, but we don't hear an awful lot about her. She's obscure. But the interesting thing is that she, she fulfilled God's purpose because she brought forth her three sons. She stood by her husband. She went on board that ark. And we don't know what else she did for the Lord. We don't know how else she fulfilled his purpose. But God knows. And so in that I find encouragement because God is watching. And the ultimate measure for each one of us as mothers is 
to fulfill what God has put in our hearts and put in our hands. Whether we're going to be a working mom, whether we're going to be a stay-at-home mom, whatever type of mother we are called to be, ultimately I do it for God and I fulfill what He's put in my heart to do. There will be grace for that and, and that is what God will hold me accountable to. Amen. So be faithful to fulfill all that God has given you to do. You may just be a mother of nations. Your children, your descendants may just grow up to be world changers like Mrs. Noah. Amen. Okay, the third type of mother that I'm wanting to look at is the working mother, the working mother. And when I, when I think of that phrase, the first word that comes to mind is guilt. Because a lot of working mothers really, really struggle with guilt. We have this perceived notion of a perfect mother. You know, the standard we have for ourselves. And I'm, I'm not sure where exactly we get it from. And when we don't meet it, we beat ourselves up as moms. We beat ourselves up mentally and emotionally. And um, yeah, and some of these standards are definitely not from the Bible. I don't know. For me personally, I remember one example that comes to mind is when I had my first son and um, I was breastfeeding and I wanted to be this perfect mom who only gave her child breast milk and Samuel, who was my firstborn son, was an extremely hungry baby. I think the first weeks of his life he put on like four, 500 grams a week for a number of weeks. I mean he really was a hungry baby boy. I think all boys are hungry but yeah he was particularly <laughs> hungry and we, we, we were moving house when he was about six weeks. And it was, I think that's quite stressful. Um, and so my milk supply wasn't quite enough for him. And I remember beating myself up about it emotionally because I did not have enough milk. And I had to give him a top-up bottle of 20 mils of formula at night to help him sleep. And I just thought that I was this terrible mom, this failure, because I had to do that. And now when I think back, I think it's laughable. I'm like, what was I thinking? But that's an example, an extreme example of some of the standards that we give ourselves. You know, I remember driving to work. I was working, um, I'm a pharmacist by profession, and I remember driving, I would do locums, and driving to work um, and leaving my kids at home with our, with our helper, who ba who's the still helper, we have, the same helper we have today. But I remember driving with tears streaming down my face because I was leaving my babies and going to work. You know, there's that guilt that we, that we, that we feel. Um, Maybe you're not like that, you know, but there's standards we have that are not necessary biblical standards. And um, it's important that we hear God in terms of his standard for us. And we look in his word to find his standard for us in our lives. And I love what I see in Proverbs 31. Um, I see a beautiful standard. I see in Proverbs 31 that a working mom is permitted and even celebrated. In fact, this woman is the woman many women aspire to be more like. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we all have to be working moms. No, um, because I believe that, you know, we should be the prime. We, 
we are the primary disciple, the people who disciple. We are the disciples of our children. We are the ones who have that unconditional love and grace very often towards our children. And I've wanted to be the one who raises up my children and teaches them in the way that they should go. So when they were younger, I, we actually cut down on certain things so that I wouldn't have to work so that I could be with the kids more. And that was a choice that we made according to how we felt the Lord leading us. And we were also planting um, and involved in ministry at the same time. So there was already lots going on um, besides, besides work. But in the Bible, I see that a working mother is completely acceptable. Proverbs 31, I'm going to read it. Who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her so we will have no lack of gain. She does not good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. So she's not sitting at home doing nothing idle. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night. She provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it from her profits. She plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of Afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for a tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and garments and sells them, and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful, beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. I love this picture of this woman because I see here that she must have prioritized her household. She prioritized her children. They rose up and called her blessed. She prioritized her relationship with her husband. Her household was managed well. And then she also did other things as well. She wasn't idle. She was industrious. She was probably an entrepreneur. So I see this. This woman was not um, an idle mom. She was organized. She was industrious. She was fruitful. She was an entrepreneur. And although she was all these things, her children still called her blessed. So she didn't forsake home responsibilities and give them up on the altar of career or business. They were her focus. They were her. Um, she made sure things were done at home and then she got busy with the other stuff. She was a faithful wife, faithful mother and an entrepreneur. And, and this is really encouraging for me because it creates possibilities for the expression of a multitude of different types of mothers. Some mothers have great fulfillment at home. Some receive fulfillment homeschooling their kids and being that stay-at-home mom and cooking and baking and, and, and being that type of mother, nurturing. Um, and that's beautiful. But for some women, they would find that very frustrating. And, and so that, that grace, they don't have the same grace. There's maybe a slightly different and they're called to do other things. And that's fine as long as we keep the main things, the main things, as long as we mother those that God has given 
us to mother, as long as we teach them and train them to, to, to walk in the ways of God, as long as we're faithful with those core responsibilities, which are our family and our children, which actually come before anything, any ministry or anything we do out there. They're our first ministry. And, and I see this in, in Proverbs 31. Another possibility uh, in terms of an example of this type of woman that we can touch on briefly is Dorcas. Um, if we look in Acts, we see that Dorcas was very industrious. Um, widows were the benefactors of her ministry. Uh, as she made clothes and um, yeah, some think she may have been a widow herself and that's why she was involved with widows. But I'm going to just read from Acts 9 verse 36 to 40. It says, At Joppa there was a certain disciple named Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds which she did. But it happened that she became sick and died. So they laid her in an upper room. And the disciples basically went and called Peter uh, to come. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping. She ministered to widows. Okay, And they were showing him the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out, knelt down and prayed. And turning, turning to the body, he said, Tabitha arise or Dorcas arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter she sat up. So here I see that Dorcas was that type of woman. I don't know if she was a mother. Some think she was a widow but she brought forth life. She had a ministry to widows and she was faithful in that so much so that when she passed away they all gathered around her and were devastated. They were grieving because she was, she was someone who brought life to these to these women so that's the third type of mother that i wanted to encourage today the fourth type of mother that i'm wanting to touch on is the unloved mother the unloved mother and we can feel unloved we can perceive that we are unloved in so many different um, instances and, and ways for instance i can feel unloved by my kids when they disrespect me when they don't thank me for things when they don't acknowledge the sacrifice when they ignore me, when they don't listen, I can end up feeling unloved. So in that way, I can possibly identify this. But there's another, um, there's another group of women who feel unloved. Maybe there's rejection from or perceived rejection from their husband or the father of their children or a significant person in their, in their lives. And I'm wanting us to look at Leah in Genesis 29 verse 31 to 35 and we know the context of this story that Leah um, had gotten married and and Rachel had gotten married and it was a situation where we know they were married to the same man. So I'm going to read from Genesis 29 verse 31 to 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved he opened her womb but Rachel was barren so Leah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Reuben for she said the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. What was Leah doing? Leah wasn't loved. Rachel was loved. Leah longed to be loved by her husband, but he loved Rachel. So Rachel was barren and Leah had now brought forth a son. So she calls him Reuben because the connotations of the Lord has looked upon my affliction in that name Reuben. So she's saying the Lord has looked upon my affliction and now my husband will love me because I've given him a son. And that was a measure in that culture. Bringing forth sons was really critical as a wife. Um, and then it says, then 
Now, therefore, my husband will love me. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. So the name Simeon was to do with God hearing. Okay, so she's saying, God has heard that I, I, I am unloved and he's given me this son also. Surely my husband is going to love me now. Rachel is still barren. I have given him a second son. I must be loved. But guess what? She wasn't loved. And you see her desire was for her husband. She was seeking love and she was doing these things for him. She was after. She was bent towards her husband in this, in this regard. Um, and... Then it says, she conceived again and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Therefore, she called his name Levi. And you see, yeah, Levi has to, doing, has to do with being attached. And so she said, now my husband, he must be attached to me because I've given him three sons. I'm now mother to three sons for him. But guess what? It didn't change her husband's heart toward her. And um, then it says, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, which means praise. And then she stopped bearing. What do we see here? It took Leah three sons to realize, you know what? I am just going to praise the Lord. That is what I'm going to do. I am going to praise the Lord. And sometimes when we in these situations where we feel unloved, undesired, where we feel perceived rejection, where we feel abandoned. Um, maybe we don't feel seen. Maybe we feel somewhat invisible. You know, the invisible mother syndrome. You know, I want to encourage us just like Leah did. Therefore, she called his name Judah and she, she said, now I will praise the Lord. That's what we've got to do. And you know what is so amazing? That Jesus, the ultimate um, plan for the redemption of mankind came through Judah. He came through Judah. And I want to encourage us that sometimes our breakthroughs in these situations will actually come when we look to the Lord, where we stop looking to man, where we look to the Lord and say, Lord, now I will praise you. You are my source. You are my nourisher. You are my sustainer. You are my provider. And I'm looking to you and I'm going to praise you. And very often that is when God's miracle and God's breakthrough and God's salvation comes through, comes through that type of attitude. But yes, sometimes it's really hard. It's hard. Um, at the end of the day, God doesn't ask us to do what we do because of love. He doesn't ask us to mother because we received and celebrated. He asks us to do what we do because He is love and we are loved by Him. We do it for Him. We do it for the audience of one. And so I'm wanting to encourage us today, if you fall into this category, you know, to think about what areas, in what areas have you allowed your wounding or perceived rejection um, by, by those you are mothering or those you are around or those you are desiring that affirmation, that love, that approval from? Um, in what areas have you allowed that to alter your service to the Lord in this area? In what areas have you allowed that to alter your faithfulness with the responsibility that God has placed in your hands? And, and I want to encourage you to, to go, go before the Lord 
and say, Lord, you know what? I'm wanting to enter a season where I praise you, where I choose to turn from that and begin to ask him for healing and a grace to fulfill what he's called you to do in spite of the perceived rejection, in spite of everything that you see around you in your less than ideal circumstance. Amen. The fifth leader that I'm wanting to touch on, I mean the fifth mother that I'm wanting to touch on is the leader in a man's world, mother. Leader in a man's world, mother. And as an example here, I'm going to go to Deborah or Deborah, depending on how you pronounce her name. Interestingly enough, Deborah was the only female judge mentioned in the Old Testament. She was also a prophetess. And the only other person in the Old Testament that I'm aware of, anyway, who was a prophet and a judge um, mentioned in the, in the Bible was Samuel. Isn't that interesting? So Deborah is the only female judge mentioned in the Old Testament who's also a prophetess. And I'm going to pick up um, this. I'm, I actually think I'll just read from Judges 4, verse 4 to 9. It says, Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth was judging Israel at that time. So at this time, it's basically a time where the Israelites, God's people, are being uh, oppressed by the Canaanites. And the king of the Canaanites is King Jabin. And his general of his army is um, Sisera. So it says, Now Deborah prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. The children of Israel, that's men, that's women, that's everybody, would come up to her for judgment. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam from Kadesh and Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops, at Mount Tabor, Tabor, take with you 10,000 men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulun. And against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at River Kishon. And I will deliver him into your hand. And Barak said to Deborah, if you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And so she said, I will surely go with you. Isn't that interesting? A mighty man of war saying to Deborah, saying to a woman, if, I, if, if, I, if you will not go with me, I'm not going to go. Okay. But there we go. He recognized something that she carried. And so Deborah said to him, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And we know that we're familiar with the story and with the account of what actually happened. And we know what happened, that um, Sisera ended up in the tent of a Kenite woman uh, called Jael. And she brings him into her tent and he sleeps there. And while he's sleeping, she gets a tent pig and she hangs it through his head and kills him. And interesting, this Kenite woman, she wasn't a Hebrew, she wasn't a Jewish, a Jewess. And her people were actually at peace with the Canaanites and her husband, her people were metal workers and it's thought that her husband possibly um, would help to fix the weapons of war from the Canaanites. So they were at peace with Sisera, with King Jabin, with the Canaanites and yet she did this. So that's an interesting story aside. I think I'll go there just now. But in Judges 5 verse 1 to 3 it says, Then Deborah and Barak the son of Abinoam sang on that day, saying, When leaders lead in Israel, when the people willingly offer themselves, bless the Lord. And then they give praise 
to the Lord. And then in verse 7, uh, this is Deborah singing, and she said, Village life ceased. It ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. Isn't that powerful? Village life ceased. They were living in fear. They were being oppressed. Until I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel. And there are mothers in Israel. There are mothers in the church. There are mothers in the nation that need to arise. I don't know if Deborah had natural children. I know she was a married, she was likely a married woman, because in some translations it speaks of her as Lapidoth's wife. Okay, but she was a mother in Israel, and her arising brought about deliverance for the entire nation of God's people, for the entire nation. Of, of Israel for all the Israelites very powerful when mothers arise and do what God has called them to do it brings about deliverance and it can bring about deliverance for entire nations for entire people groups very very powerful an interesting thing that I that I see when I reflect upon this when we lead we must lead with a mother's heart. And my husband often talks about this, that women who are leading in various spheres of life, especially when they're leading men, it's much easier to follow a woman when she has that nurturing mother's heart than a woman who is quite sort of masculine and, um, and lacks that mother, that femininity. So interesting, I see from Deborah that when we lead, we must lead with a mother's heart. Um, but she was leading in a man's world. I mean, she was giving a prophetic word to the, the, the general of God's army. She was telling him what he needed to do. Um, and she was judging between all people, like judging issues, men uh, and women and families. And so she was leading in a man's world. And that was what God had called her to do. And she fulfilled that. And I think that's awesome. And so I want to ask you today, how has God called you to lead in a perceived man's world? If he has called you to lead, if he has called you to, to mother in a man's world, have you backed down from any of these responsibilities or roles? Have you backed away from them? Have you shied away from them? How have you disqualified yourself? Maybe you've disqualified yourself. Maybe you thought, no, I can't do this, Lord. How can I do this? I'm not this. I'm not this. I'm not this. And I'm not that. You know, um, but what victories have not yet been won for God's kingdom because you hold the key, but you are not available to God he, because he is still waiting for you to arise a mother in Israel. What deliverances haven't been um, wrought for the people of God because you haven't yet arisen. So I'm wanting to challenge us to if that is you. If that is me, let's arise. Let's be faithful to what God is calling us to. And I want to go back to Jael because she's such an interesting, interesting character um, in terms of, of a woman and, and bringing forth deliverance for the people of God. Like, uh, like I'd mentioned, she was the wife of Heba and he was a Kenite. When Sisera approaches her tent, Jael greets him, invites him and covers him with a blanket. Um, at his request for water, she gives him milk. She's nurturing. And, and um, when, when he asks her to stand at the entrance to a tent and respond negatively if anyone comes looking for him, um, he, she, off, she, you know, she must have given him an impression that she would do that. And as he lies asleep exhausted from battle, she takes this tent pig and drives it through his forehead. It was a woman's tent. There were likely no uh, other weapons in there, but she was familiar with a tent, with a tent pig. And, and that's what she used. So sometimes God 
calls us to do things that are outside the matrix, that are outside the norm, that are outside what we would may have grown up with people telling us, this is what a woman does, this is what a mother does, this is what you must do, this is how you must be. Sometimes God calls us outside of the mold and he doesn't expect us to use something that's not within our reach. Very often he wants us to use what's within our tent, so to speak, what's within our hand, what we have within our reach to fulfill what he's calling us to do. Um, and so Jael fulfills Deborah's prophecy, but she confounds other expectations. You know, when we read uh, the, the account and we we think of, we visualize the general of war coming into her tent. We fear for her. We don't fear for him. And yet, um, and yet it was him who should have feared, you know. Jael takes up that domestic weapon of opportunity and she becomes a heroine. Um, her actions are not explained. We don't understand her motives. But the account considers her action, the will of God and the fulfillment of a prophetic word that Deborah had given. I mean, what a woman, what courage to be available to fulfill God's purposes in that manner, using a Kenite woman to deliver his people from the troops, troops of Canaanite King Jabin. You know, um, it's really it's really an encouragement. And if you're wanting to read a little bit more about jail, you can, you can find that in Judges 4, verse 17 to, to 21. Okay, so yeah, just wanting to encourage you to arise and to use what is in your hand and to be faithful to fulfill what God has put in your heart, regardless how it may look to the outside world, as long as it is what God has put in your heart to, um, to fulfill and achieve and do and bring forth for Him and birth for Him, you know. Um, it doesn't matter what it looks like to other people. We have to be faithful because it might just result in deliverance for people. It might just result in deliverance for a nation. It might just result in His kingdom coming in our generation or in the generations to come. So I want us to look at the next mother, which is the mother of a nation. Number six, the mother of a nation. And this follows on quite nicely from Deborah, who was a mother, a mother in Israel, the mother of a nation. Um, and I'm wanting to look at Esther, obviously. Um, Esther was orphaned and raised by her cousin and um, <clears throat> taken to uh, the king's household. And we know that she becomes his wife. Um, and yeah, I'm going to pick up the story in chapter 3 of Esther, where Haman, who's a wicked leader in the kingdom, um, basically doesn't like Mordecai, Esther's uh, cousin, and wants to destroy all of the Jewish people because of Mordecai. Uh, and so he goes before the king in verse 8 and said, There is a certain people scattered and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of your kingdom. Their laws are different from other people's, and they do not keep the king's laws. Therefore, it is not fitting for the king to let them remain. And basically what he did was he was planning to destroy all the Jews everywhere in that particular kingdom. Um, and uh, continuing the story into Esther, Esther 4 verse 11 to 16. Um, 
basically what happened was Mordecai then goes to Esther when Haman has now set this law in motion for Jews to be killed, to, to be destroyed. Haman, uh, Mordecai goes to Esther and says, you need to do something. You need to go before the king and something needs to happen. You need to speak to him. Um, you, you have to do something. And, and this is what Esther says. She says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court of the king, who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. I myself have not been called to go into the king these 30 days. So they told Mordecai what Esther had said, that she said, listen, I can't go before the king. I could be put to death. I could lose my life. I haven't been called before him. And there's a law about it. And Mordecai responds and, and says to Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Esther told, told them, heard this, processed it, I imagine, and then told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan, in, in the citadel, and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maidservants and I will, will do likewise, and then I will go before the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. You see, she's putting her trust completely in the Lord. And I just find it so fascinating, the power of prayer and fasting and how, it, and how God orchestrates um, all the uh, circumstances that happen after this particular, um, after this particular instance with, with, uh, and a, a communication between Mordecai and Esther. And I want to encourage you, you know, um, Esther, as far as we know at this point, did not have children, but God was calling her to, in effect, take responsibility for a nation, for a people group, for her people, and to, in effect, stand in the gap and lay down her life that um, there would be deliverance for her people group. And that is, that is the heart of a mother. That is, that is the self-sacrificing heart of a mother, that desire to bring forth life despite pain, the desire to bring forth life even if it will cost me my own life. And she did that, and we know, we know what happened, that she goes before the king, he extends the scepter, and then the whole situation gets turned around, where eventually Mordecai is honored, and Haman, the wicked leader, is put to death, and the Jews are preserved and and we see that Esther because of what she did she saved and God brought about deliverance for her people and I want to ask you today do you have a vision for your nation beyond your immediate family do you have a vision for a people group a group a, a, a something beyond your immediate family is there uh, a geographical grouping, a cultural grouping, an age grouping that the Lord is calling you to stand up for and to give your own life for, so to speak, that they can be rescued, that they can be delivered. Maybe it's something as simple as mentoring teens. Maybe it's something like taking care of abandoned babies. Maybe it's being a voice for the voiceless and speaking out for, you know, where, say for abortion or uh, where they're wanting to pass these euthanasia laws. In our country, maybe it's making a difference in the lives of the elderly, the vulnerable, the mentally ill, the sick. 
um, a specific people group, do their lives hang in the balance because of your hesitation to stand up and to speak out, to stand up, to stand in the gap, to, to, and to pay the price. And maybe you've been born for such a time as this. Maybe there's something that rests upon your, somebody's deliverance that rests upon your standing up and saying, I'm going to be a mother. Maybe I don't have natural children, but I'm going to be a mother in this nation. I'm going to be a mother in Israel. Or I'm, going to be, I'm going to bring forth this ministry. I'm going to bring forth this business, which is going to provide jobs for this type of people. I'm going to bring forth this NGO. I'm going to bring forth life in my organization, in the place where I work. I'm going to bring forth life in the people around me in my home I'm going to endeavor that I'm going to raise up my children to the best of my ability and pay the price that they don't have to face the giants that I face that they can walk in complete deliverance whatever it is God is wanting to call us up to the next level of mothering uh, in, in today the seventh type of mother that I'm wanting to touch on is the multi-generational mother multi-generational mother. This is the mother who disciples and influences multiple generations. In our nation, in South Africa today, we see how grandmothers play a crucial role in the nation and in parenting. A lot of parents take their children, it seems, to grandparents to, to parent them and they um, you know, leave them in the rural areas and go back and continue working. Now for some, this is the only working arrangement, but, but it's a cultural norm that, is, that has been created. And so the multi-generational mother is so important today. The grandmother is so important today. And we see this in Scripture <clears throat> in 2 Timothy 1. Verse 3 to 5, where Paul is talking to Timothy and he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may be filled up with joy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you, also, isn't that, isn't that awesome? Grandmother, mother, son. In Acts 16 verse 1, it says, Then he came to Dob and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. And so we see here that Timothy's mother was Jewish. So she must have converted at a certain point to Christianity and some think that it's in an earlier visits by Paul. But she was a Jew and she converted to Christianity. Um, but while she was even a Jew, she still raised up her son um, in her belief and in the Holy Scriptures because it says in 2 Timothy 3 verse 15, it says, this is Paul speaking of Timothy, it says, From childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so here we see that she raised up her son um, teaching him the Holy Scriptures from a young age and her mother must have done the same with her. And you know what? She did that for Timothy. Eunice did that for Timothy, even though her husband was a Greek and a heathen and an unbeliever. So it doesn't matter if your husband is an unbeliever, you can still train up your children in the Holy Scriptures. It doesn't matter if you're a single mom, if you, you know, if you, if an unmarried, um, an unmarried uh, a mother, it doesn't matter if you are a mom 
who doesn't have natural children or you're a grandmother, it doesn't actually matter. The children that God has placed around you, if you have opportunity, you can train them up and from a young age, you can help them to know the Holy Scriptures. And that's part of mothering. I can play a mothering role in, ch in children that are not my own. I can play a mothering role in children that God passes, brings through my life and seasons. And so can you. Teach them up. Train them. Help them to know God. To know the Word of God. To desire God. Reveal God to them. Um, be life and bring forth life out of them. That is mothering. It's the essence of motherhood. And it's the heart of a mother, especially that heart of, it doesn't have to be my own natural biological child, but I'm mothering those that are beyond my, my local sphere of this four and no more, my immediate family. That is the heart, true heart of motherhood, bringing forth life in those, in those around. Um, the last mother that I'm wanting to, to look at, and actually there are two examples in this particular group of mothers, is the grieving mother, the grieving mother. Um, and as I was reading these accounts today, actually, I just, I was, I was just quite tearful at what these women went through. Um, but it's also encouraging because God was enough for them. He was enough for them. The first example is Bathsheba. And as you know, the king murdered her husband and committed adultery with her and she fell pregnant. So she's lost her husband. She's grieving the loss of her husband. Now the king has impregnated her and um, she, she grows and she, you know, you love a baby that, that you are pregnant with even before the baby is born. Um, and it says in 2 Samuel 12, verse 15 to 18, it says that the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife bore to David and the child became ill. David pleaded with God for the child and fasted. But verse 18 says, Then on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died. The child died. So Bathsheba, she's lost her husband. She's committed adultery with the king. She fell pregnant from this, and now the child died. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the loss, the upheaval in her life? Okay. In 2 Samuel 12, verse 24, we read that David comforted his wife. He comforted Bathsheba. She needed to be comforted. Her heart was broken. Um, she was grieving. She was a grieving mother. And God gave her and blessed her uh, with another son in this season. And this son was Solomon. So when she fell pregnant, after she'd lost the first son, she gave birth to Solomon. And um, it says in, in verse 24, Now the Lord loved him, loved Solomon. And we know that Solomon was the wisest king that reigned over God's people. Actually, in 1 Kings 10, verse 23 to 24, it says, So King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the earth in riches and wisdom. And all the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put in his heart. And so Solomon was an extremely favored and blessed king. Um, he was blessed with riches and he was blessed with wisdom. And, and you know what? Solomon is part of the lineage of Christ. So God used Solomon to bring forth his ultimate purpose who was Jesus um, and that's so that's so encouraging for me when I reflect upon that because out of ashes in a place of complete brokenness and grief God he didn't restore what was 
but he gave something else that was very significant, very beautiful. Um, he added, he, he restored joy again into that situation. And that is the heart of God. And I believe that is the heart of God for grieving mothers. Whether you're grieving a loss of a child or of a husband or of a close family member, God's heart is one of comfort and his heart is one to restore joy and to bring beauty out of ashes. No, he can't bring back what is gone, but he can bring beauty out of ashes. He can add something else. He can do something amazing and he can still bring forth his purposes ultimately out of the situation. The second example um, that I'm wanting to touch on, there are actually two of them. Um, is Naomi and Ruth, Ruth and Naomi. And we, we pick up the story in Ruth 1, verse 20 to 22. Um, actually, before I read that, let me give you a background. So basically, um, Naomi uh, went, she left with her husband and her sons and um, went to the country of Moab because there was a famine in their land. And while they were there, they were there for a number of years, 10 years, I think. And while they were there, her husband died. Um, her sons, by the way, subsequently took wives, but then they also died. So this woman, this mother, Naomi, she went to Moab, uh, Moab uh, she lost her husband, and she lost her two sons. Can you imagine that? She lost her children, and she lost her husband. And this is where we pick it up, Ruth 1, verse 20 to 22. She says to the people when she arrives back, because now she's coming back from Moab, to her land, and she says to the people, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned with Ruth the Moabites, her daughter-in-law, who returned with her from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem. So can you see there, Naomi is filled with grief. There's emptiness in her heart. She says, the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. She's expressing it to people. She's, she's very sad, her life. Her heart is broken. There is much grief there. And um, I'm grateful that Ruth came back with her, her daughter and her one daughter-in-law returned with her. But even that daughter-in-law also, she had also experienced loss. She must have also gone through grief because she lost her husband. But not only her husband, but she left her family and those that she grew up with and those that were close friends to her. She left her whole support system in the land of Moab to come with Ruth. So she would have been grieving that, the loss of her of her family and close ones, because I don't know if she would see them again. She probably didn't know if she would ever see them again. So she's grieving her husband and she's grieving the loss of her of her family. But she was um, set on going with Naomi and I believe being obedient to what God has put had put in her heart. And I love what Boaz says. Boaz is the Redeemer kinsman that the Lord brings them in contact with. And Boaz is speaking to, to Ruth and says to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know before. 
The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord under whose wings you have come for refuge. Isn't that a beautiful picture of trusting in God? A mother trusting in God, a daughter-in-law who's also a mother-to-be trusting in God, saying, I'm willing to leave all of this. I'm willing to forsake all of this that is comfortable to me. My husband's their grave, my husband, his grave, um, his my brother-in-law. I'm leaving all of that and I'm coming with my mom to a people, my mom-in-law to a people that I don't know because it's what God has put in my heart. And at the end of the day, we know what happened, that Boaz takes Ruth and she becomes his wife. And the Lord gives her a child, a son. And it says in Ruth 4 verse 13 onwards, it says, The woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative. And may his name be famous in Israel. And may he be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons, has <coughs> born him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. Also the neighbor woman gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Can you see this? That Jesus came from this lineage the lineage of Christ came through these difficult circumstances where these mothers had to endure hardship and grief and difficulty but God's plan and God's purpose still prevailed you know um, they were faithful to what God put in their hearts and God still brought forth the life and that is what is so important we need to be faithful to what God has put in our hearts as mothers as women and he will cause his purposes to be birthed he will cause his life to come forth in the right season it doesn't exclude us from difficulties no we still will need to walk through difficulties but God can and does bring forth his purposes out of a place of difficulty. God can and does restore the lives of those touched and broken by loss and by grief. He doesn't give back what was lost, but he creates something beautiful and leads us into a place where there's beauty from ashes, where there is hope, where there is new life, and yes, where there is the purpose of God that we can give birth to and play our role in. I'm wanting to ask you today, what or whom have you lost? What or whom have you lost? And be encouraged that God is a restorer, that he does, that he can and he does lead us into new things, into new life and into beauty and time. He is faithful to do that. Amen. So in conclusion, I began this journey by noting the foundation upon which motherhood is built, that woman is created in the image of God along with her counterpart man. And that part of this is displaying, displaying the attributes that God has, such as reason, such as ability to choose and so forth. But more than that, this also includes walking with God, growing in the knowledge of Him in every aspect of life and revealing that to others around us. Woman, mother, we also looked at how she has a role to play in the dominion mandate, being instructed by God to be fruitful and to have dominion. And this is the essence of being of motherhood and that is being a life giver. As life giver, woman has been wired, has been gifted, has been graced 
to give birth to children, to mother children, as well as to be fruitful in multiple ways that extend the kingdom of God and bring life on earth. <coughs> and this extends to married women and unmarried women, natural mothers, spiritual mothers, and people who possibly haven't really seen themselves as mothers before this message. It extends to, to all of us. And from, from, from looking at that scripture, Genesis 1 verse 27 to 28, um, we've been create, we created in the image of God, we're part of the dominion mandate. We went on to look at various examples of types of mothers that we find in the Bible to draw encouragement from them. And it was just wanting us to remember that none of us exist in a perfect world, that um, the world has fallen and all of us face challenges. And motherhood in a fallen world can be difficult, can sometimes be complicated. We, we looked at eight different types of mother of, of, of um, women and, and mothers today, um, gleaning encouragement from them. And wherever you find yourself, I want to encourage you, if you are a woman, that God can and will use you to bring forth life if you will trust Him, if you will walk with Him um, and bring forth life with Him, for Him and by Him. He can bring beauty from ashes. He can make a way where there seems to be no, no way. He can use impossible situations and sting and still bring forth his plans um, and bring them to fulfillment. And if you are a man, I wanted you to listen today and think, how does God want to use you to facilitate this, this, this um, essence of motherhood being manifested in the woman uh, around your life, in the woman in and around you? How do you think God would want to use you to draw it out of the woman around you because they're a gift to you, they're a gift for you, and if you allow them to be mothers and bring forth life, you will be a beneficiary of this, um, and there'll be life in your home, there'll be life more life in your life. Amen. God is a faithful God and wants to use His woman to bring forth life today. Now, if, if we can just close wherever you are in your homes, you can just close your eyes. I'm wanting to extend, um, create an opportunity actually for you to respond to the Lord um, on the tail end of this message. If you could identify with any of those women that I mentioned today, or maybe the Lord spoke to you in a way that wasn't so much the words that I spoke, but in your heart you could feel Him calling you, reminding you, challenging you, encouraging you. Um, and you want to make a commitment to the Lord today to turn away from whatever has been hindering you in this area of mothering, in this area of bringing forth life. You want to make a commitment to the Lord today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray with you. Um, and the second category is for men out there who watch this message and you want to make a commitment. Maybe it's in one woman in your life. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, your sisters. Maybe it's a number of women around you. That you want to make a commitment to facilitate the, them being the best version of life giver that God wants them to be. Where you want to facilitate an environment where they can walk in the fullness of God's purpose in their lives, then, I, then I'm also going to pray with you. So let's pray together. Father, the first category, woman who wanting to make a commitment to you, to mother from a place of love from you, to mother from a place of 
faithfulness to your calling and not bentness toward man. We ask, Lord God, that you would give us a grace to do this. Lord, we repent. We have allowed circumstances or people or the, the inclination of our own heart to be a hindrance to mothering and bringing forth life. And we commit today, Lord, in the areas that you've impressed upon our hearts, we commit today to mother and to bring forth life and to bring forth these things that you are calling us to do in the name of Jesus. And for the men out there, Lord, we pray today, well, I pray for them that um, just for an enablement, for eyes to see, Lord God, the, the giftings and the callings and the women around them, for eyes to see and hearts to understand how you're wanting to use the woman around them to bring forth life and to mother. And we pray, Lord God, that you would help them to facilitate this, that you would enable them, that there would be a divine grace to do that. And, and we commit ourselves to you, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, help us to be great image bearers, to be those who walk with you through life, those who make you known, Lord God, those who take dominion, who are fruitful and who multiply um, and who bring forth your kingdom on this earth, Lord, whether we are man, whether we are woman, whether we are fathers or mothers, boys or girls, Lord God, we want to do this. And so I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.